in order to be a good leader, you really have to get yourself right. Uh, it's hard to take on other people's emotions and other people's baggage when you aren't prepared to address or handle your own. You're listening to the Build a Vibrant Culture podcast with professional speaker, coach, and consultant, Nicole Greer. Welcome to the Build a Vibrant Culture podcast. My name is Nicole Greer, and they call me the Vibrant Coach, and I am here with none other than the Canadian Dan Gray. Dan is wonderful and has over 10 years of experience scaling both B2C and B2B brands. He has been able to be successful at building great teams, challenging assumptions, and continuously learning along the way. This is my kind of guy. He has a passion for technology, marketing, and commerce, and always welcomes the opportunity to discuss and debate many of the exciting changes these industries are experiencing. Please welcome to the show... Dan Gray. Dan, how are you? I'm doing well, thank you. I've never been described as the Canadian, but I'm happy to represent the country today. So uh, (laughs) thanks for having me. Oh, that's okay. Well, you know, I have another favorite Canadian, uh, uh, Susser Lee. Do you know who Susser Lee is? I feel like I should, but I I don't. Okay, you have to be like a completely insane foodie like myself. So there's a guy that owns a restaurant in Toronto named Susser Lee, and he was on Top Chef Masters. Go watch it on Amazon Prime. That's all I'm saying. All right, I know where I'm grabbing dinner tonight. So we're, uh, we're set in that department. Okay, very good. Yeah, so I have a coach, and his name is Dan Sullivan, and he's also up in Toronto, and uh, and he he's the one that told me that Susser Lee's restaurant was his favorite, and oh, see, it's all about who you know in this business, isn't exactly. it, Dan? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> all right, well, I want to start off, I'm collecting definitions of leadership. What's your definition of leadership, Dan? Ooh, uh, that is a meaty question. Um, yes, it is. So I think the, the you know the clinical answer is it's all it's it's all geared towards social influence you know when it, when you think about leadership it's leading other people uh, so it's it's social influence towards a common goal or objective I personally see it as more than that I think that sort of encompasses the broader idea of it but for me what leadership is is it's not only influencing people towards that goal but it's also sharing the vision sort of mapping out how we get there. And then I also believe that the execution is such a big part of it because I am nothing but hands in the dirt substance, uh, you know, go and go and sort of solve the problem together. So uh, for me, that's what it's all about. Yeah, I I totally agree. Uh, You know, one thing I think people struggle with, Dan, is is doing that casting of the vision. Now, I know you have one cool organization that you work inside of. It's called Cotton. But hey, everybody write this down. K-O-T-N, not like C-O-T-T-E-N. Let me repeat. K-O-T-N. Go check it out. Tell me, tell me a little bit about how you got your organization to go in such a cool direction because you are a sustainable clothing line. Is that not right? That's correct. Yeah. You know, I can't take the credit. I'm I'm not one of the founders, but I've been fortunate enough to be with the team for the last uh, two and a half years. But uh, what cotton is all about, you know, if you think about what it takes to build an apparel business, this company was really built in the most difficult way possible. The founders went straight to Egypt. They thought, hey, the way you build a clothing brand is to talk to farmers and just go to the source. And by doing so, what they ended up doing was creating one of the most ethical supply chains out there when it comes to traceability of where the product and all of its inputs come from. Uh, and so when you talk about vision, you know, for us, what we try and do in this, in this industry is only, only 5% of the apparel industry can make the same claim we do, which is uh, 100% traceability, knowing every single stakeholder in your supply chain. And so I think starting to create products with that lens and starting to show the world that, hey, this is possible, you know, the company is only seven or eight years old. You know, if a company of our size can go and build this, why can't the rest of the industry do that? Why can't they start moving towards um, better made, higher quality products uh, that are made by people with people in mind uh, in a way that's traceable and ethical? So, uh, yeah, really excited about about the vision that we've laid out and, and the leadership that we're carving out in that space. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I'm, I'm sitting over here. I'm a little floored. 100% traceability. So you can say I'm wearing this cotton t-shirt and I know all the way from beginning to end where it came from is what you're telling me. Exactly. I, I personally don't know all of their names, but, uh, you know, we <laughs> say it's 
Uh, we say it's from farm to hanger. So uh, we oh my directly, gosh. Yeah, we, we were direct. I don't think we coined that. We can't take credit for it, but I think it's just a, a catchy way of sort of explaining what we do. But yeah, we work with with um, farmers in in Egypt in the Nile Delta region to uh, to farm 100% organic Egyptian cotton. Uh, and we know everyone all the way through the dyeing process, cutting, so uh, all the way to our, our warehouses here in, in Toronto. So, uh, yeah, we're super proud of that. I mean, it's it's why we're recognized as a B Corp, which, you know, is something we're, we're certainly uh, very excited about. And we were also recently named one of uh, B Corp's best for the world. So not only are we in the upper echelon uh, with the rest of the B Corps, we're actually within the top 5% of all the B Corps in the world. Um, so a lot of really, really exciting milestones. And again, it just gives us a platform to continue pushing our vision towards a more ethical and sustainable supply chain, not just in the apparel space, but I think uh, if you think about all the ways we consume different goods, uh, hopefully we can extend that and, and influence others to to think that uh, this is possible in other sectors too. Mm, that's fantastic. So not only do you guys have leadership going on on the inside, but you guys are doing leadership out to all the industries and showing people how to do it. That is so fantastic. Exactly. And you know, what well, I'll tell you, it makes leading yeah. inside that much easier too, because getting alignment on a vision where our employees can go out to the world and you know, show pride in what they're making, feel good about the lives we're impacting and the work they're doing. My job as a leader is that much easier. You know, I can point to, hey, you are you are applying influence here. You are making a difference in the world. Uh, it really does make the job a lot smoother. I'll, I'll tell you that much. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, I, I have this little diagram that I use when I'm when I'm doing leadership development and it's got different layers of, of the human. And uh, it's just to kind of tease out and look at what, you know, what people are made of and what kind of, you know, human you've got working there for you. And one of my circles is beliefs. And I don't think we ever stop to go, gosh, what are the what are the hardcore beliefs or the, the, the absolute beliefs of this person that we're hiring? And uh, I think you're absolutely right. You know, when you ask somebody, do you want to work for a company that has an ethical supply chain traceability, they're farm to hanger and they're in the top five percent? Is that what you five percent? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's easy to believe. Right. For sure. For sure. So here's a question for you then, because I love that. And I would love to be able to figure out when I'm interviewing people, you know, what their belief system is. How does that belief system link to what we're doing here? Uh, but it's so easy to just get someone to give you, you know, the run of the mill. Oh, I love that cotton does this and does that. How do you get that out of someone in an interview in a way that's genuine and authentic? Yeah, well, I think the thing that I first start with is I ask people what their core values are, and usually this just trips people up. And I'm not trying to trip people up. I'm truly looking for people who know what they believe or know what they think is important. And I think that's really huge. So um, you you guys probably have core values inside of cotton, don't you? We do, and we're, we're constantly working on them. Yeah, uh, I think what that's one of the things uh, as a startup, you know, every time you hit a new milestone, it's like, oh, God, we got to throw these uh, values out and not like, you know, toss them aside. It's just how do you evolve them in a way that it creates meaning for a larger group? So that's actually an exercise we uh, we recently went through and we're, we're always thinking about we want to give our team members something to strive toward. You know, we want to we want to be able to point to, hey, this is a value that you're you're doing a great job on uh, when it comes time to performance evaluations and just general conduct throughout the business. Because I think one of the hardest things for employees, especially new employees, is like, how do I, am I doing a good job? You know, I get that question all the time, whether it's people that we work with or, you know, people that I'm talking to from other companies. It's like it's so hard to make an impact early on. And so having those beliefs and core values written out and, you know, giving a compass to employees to say, oh, okay, I'm I'm aligning here. I'm I'm crushing it. I feel great. I have motivation and I'm I'm working towards this goal. Uh that's that's a luxury that you know we're we're excited to afford our employees. And again, something we're constantly rethinking and never want to become stagnant done. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. So I think I think uh, when you ask them about your core values as a company and then you ask them about their personal core values, that definitely gives you a little peek inside their belief system. And I'll tell you another thing I think is so cool about your organization. I mean, you guys are trying to make money, right? We are. We're trying to make money. <laughs> yeah. We've been relatively successful at that piece, too. So, you know, that's that's part of the leadership is like, hey, this is a company that's growing and doing great. And we still managed to achieve all of this because I think 
the early days of sustainable clothing, sustainable consumerism, it was too expensive. The bar was way too high for consumers to buy into that. Uh, and I think our price point is actually pretty reasonable. You know, we're selling a $30 t-shirt and while that's not for everyone, I know that's not your like, you know, five pack $20 t-shirts that you can buy at, uh, at the local supermarket, we're selling a quality product at a price that I think is uh, attainable. Maybe your entire wardrobe doesn't look like uh, cotton product, but at least it's taking small steps towards changing your buying habits. Yeah. And, and the reason why I asked that, and, and I love your answer is, is that, you know, when I, when I interview people, I also ask people, how does a business work? And this is another question that always trips people up because I think some people think, you know, well, first of all, I have, I have grace for people because like maybe they didn't get a business degree or they never, you know what I mean? Like they, they worked somewhere growing up, they worked for their dad, they worked at the grocery store, they worked at the you know McDonald's, I don't know where they worked, but you know, they never really stopped, stopped to think about, oh my gosh, we, none of us would get a paycheck if we didn't make a profit, right? And so uh, when people believe that we need to make a profit, then I want to hire them. But if yeah. they're like, don't believe you know, they, they don't understand that, like, that's the, that's the answer. Uh, I have a problem sometimes. All right. That's awesome. Okay. So what are you seeing out there in the future? We have had like the craziest last like three years or four years or whatever, right? We've got COVID. Um, now we've got craziness going on in the Ukraine. Um, how are you guys navigating all this craziness? Tell me like how leadership might've played a part or how you've kept your culture together in, in these ridiculous, crazy times. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's been unprecedented. I feel like that word is, uh, is getting stale, but it, it truly does feel it's that way true. at least in my lifetime. Um, we've been really fortunate. I will say and I, I I take for granted way too often living in Canada and, and being here in Toronto, just the, the luxuries that we're afforded from a, a safety standpoint and, and how much good that we have here. Um, from an organizational standpoint, it's been a lot of the same. You know, we've been relatively unaffected uh, in terms of our supply chain and our ability to continue driving impact, uh, both here in Canada and across North America and throughout the communities that we work with in Egypt. So, you know, we've been very fortunate in that way. But I think as a leader, one of the challenges has been like, how do I create connection, meaningful connection with the people that I'm working with? Because a lot of the employees that I've hired in the last two years, you know, I've only met them a handful of times. So how do you how do you create a connection where it's exciting for them to come to work today? And then, you know, in addition to that, how do I find inspiration myself? Um, because there's been times. Oh, that's when, a good point. Yeah, like if you can't show up to work with your best self as a leader, like oh, you're you're done. Like <laughs> you have uh, you have no shot at at leading the way that your, your, uh, your people need you to. So what we've really tried to do as an organization is one, continue articulating the vision and the impact that we have. Uh, because when you're not together, it's easy to lose sight of the tangible and intangible things that we're doing. And so, you know, allowing the team uh, these moments to say, hey, you know, we just built another three schools in Egypt uh, that helps us get even further towards our goal of uh, reducing the illiteracy rate that's happening there with children as a result of our Black Friday and Cyber Monday promotion. That's one of the big campaigns that we run every year. Talking about those things, talking about uh, the number of lives we're impacting, the, the difference we're making from a sustainability and ethics standpoint, that's a really big thing. And then on top of that, just creating fun opportunities for, for folks to get together, where whether it's like, how was your week? Tell us a, a win or a loss that you had uh, this week, whether it's, um, you know, we celebrate events together on Zoom with ourselves and our partners. Uh, you know, we just recently went skating a couple of weeks ago and, and had a team event. It's cold enough here to, to skate in Toronto. So uh, we did a little team social. But as a manager, you just have to constantly be thinking about, OK, like, where is the mental psyche of my team? What do I need to do for them? Uh, do I need to provide them a couple of minutes to step out of their space and just be emotional and, and vulnerable about how they're feeling and what's going on in the world. And again, extending that same opportunity and gratitude to be vulnerable to yourself. Uh, so you show up in, in the right head space. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, I just got this big hit when you were talking about building schools in Egypt and da 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 da. So I'm hearing this thing that I learned a little while back called triple bottom line. 
are, are you guys intentionally triple bottom lining or is this like just serendipity that you're hitting all bottom lines? Because the triple bottom line and correct me if I don't get it right, Dan, if you know more than me, you know, let's educate each other back and forth and the listeners at the same time. But like there's the profit, there's that bottom line, which I've already mentioned. Then there's the sustainability or the impact on the environment bottom line. And then there is like a social responsibility bottom line. So is are your founders, are they subscribed to that or what? That's what I'm hit, getting. Yeah, I love I love that you bring up that concept because to be honest, I haven't heard that since I think like business school. There you uh, go. When, there you go. Yeah, it's nice to, to get a refresher. I'm, I'm so glad you walked me through it because I was like, oh God, what are the three? I got profit and then, oh, what's the next one? Um, and we'll probably get comments or something or I'll get an email. No, you should know you should do your homework. But anyways, yeah. it's close to that anyway. Um, to be honest, I don't know if it's been with that level of intentionality. I think, again, it stems from the vision that, hey, we're going to build a business and a consumer brand that's about culture, community, and advocating for those communities that we're a part of. So whether that's here in Toronto, whether that's across North America, uh, in the communities that we have stores, or you know, more directly and specifically in, in Egypt, uh, where we have our entire supply chain and we have our schools, um, how do we drive impact there? And so I don't think it was this intentional thing where I was like, okay, you know, we need to to check these boxes. I think it was just a natural, if we're going to build a business that's about ethics and taking care of people, how do we always think about a way to do that to the extreme? That still makes sense from a profit standpoint. You're, you're totally right. Like we still have to run a business here. Um, right. We still have to be thoughtful about how we operate. But at the same time, when those opportunities are afforded, when we have the resources to be able to do this, and we've been fortunate that we do, again, Black Friday and Cyber Monday, going back to that example, it's like, here's the largest online shopping holiday of the year. Why not tie the demand and hype that comes around that uh, that shopping day and tie it back to our schools in Egypt? So we've been doing that, I think, for like five or six years now. Um, that's and that's just a natural fit. No, no one was like, hey, we need to check this box and um, make sure we're, we're giving back to our communities. It's just something that I think is core to our business. And the more that we can reiterate that across the company. And what I've observed is like those ideas don't always come from our founders. I think we've done a good job of distributing the the culture that hey everyone has the ability to make an impact here and those ideas are coming from all across the business mm, that's fantastic yeah and so you know the name of the podcast is build a vibrant culture and like your energy is super fantastic um Thank and you. you and when i look at your bio you know i I'm, I'm a big word person dan so i'm looking at this as like he has passion um and he likes to debate and he likes to talk about the exciting changes so like there's debate exciting challenging building all this kind of ah i just love it all right so so where does this this come from inside of you because i think there are some leaders that are like, they're dialed in, they're lit from within. I, I have this little talk I call get lit. And uh, people like the title because they think it means we're going to go have cocktails, which we can do after we work real hard. But, you know, uh, getting lit, like it seems like you are lit from within. What? Why are you so alive on the inside? Because it's definitely coming out and it's got to be on the inside before it comes out, I think. That's very kind of you. You know, I don't even think of myself as like that, but I just really get excited about complex problems. Uh, I I think leadership is one of them, uh, which is why I was like, so excited to talk to you today because, you know, I for me, my leadership journey is really just beginning, just trying to figure out how I can be a better boss and a better leader, not just for my direct reports, but for the entire organization. So like, that's one problem that like, I am just so intent on solving and, uh, you know, want to continue to adapt a growth mindset around. And then for our business too, you know, like I've been with Cotton again for two and a half years and we've made so much progress, but uh, I continually get enthusiastic about what we're trying to solve. I recently joined our, uh, our wholesale division. So we actually have an entirely separate business unit around selling our our Egyptian cotton clothing to companies, teams, communities. So, you know, I'm also recharged for uh, for a new uh, new role as well. But yeah, just always finding complex problems and being able to solve them, putting all the puzzle pieces together and, you know, trying to figure out the bigger picture. That's that's what gets me excited. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. All right. So you've mentioned the word ethics, like, I don't know, four times. And so I zeroed in on that. So, so tell me why, I mean, I know, we know why ethics are so important, like do the right thing people, but gosh, 
our need to mention it, our need to talk about it, our need to bring it to the forefront. Why is your company, and, and it's obviously, it's, it's a belief system in you. So what does Dan believe? He believes in ethics, people. Don't miss that. Okay, so that's his little circle on his uh, human diagram. One of his things is ethics. So t- talk to me about that. Has, has something impacted you or you've watched something that you're like, this is going to be key? I think for a lot of Cotton's employees, and I love hearing this when people come to, to our team or interview with us, there's so many great companies you can work at out there that have amazing products, exciting teams, but the truth is the work is not meaningful and not to say other companies are not ethical, but I don't think they're necessarily building for a better future. They're building solutions for for teams, they're building solutions for consumers, but I don't know if they're building a better future. And so where, where ethics fits into that, when you think about the consumer good space, there's so many reverse uh, consequences to our consumption patterns. And we all know this, we inherently know this, If you look around any given room, the amount of stuff we have as people is wild. And so when I think about ethics and consequences in in the world of consumables, we know there's a cost to that. There's a cost to having this many things. It's It's not rational to think that, hey, we continue making these things from a finite set of resources, there's no consequence to that. So for us, where, where ethics comes in is it's it's putting constraints around how we do things. It's mm-hmm. it's the if if I can define it in, in a different term, it's it's like it's that focus, that pinpoint focus on making things in a better way. It's making better things in a better way. So how do you go about not limiting the amount of stuff we have? Because people love stuff and you know, we're not here to say, hey, don't buy stuff. It's more buy stuff you're going to enjoy, you know, don't buy stuff to end up in the donation box or a landfill in a, in a week or a month. Um, especially in the apparel space, you know, so many people buy outfits for one occasion. They like, okay, I'm going out to a club tonight. I got to buy a dress and throw that on. And then they never wear it again. And the reason they can, and they go to these companies where the price is like 25%, 50% below what, what we sell our products for is because they're being made in places where, the labor conditions are just not up to the standard we we look for here domestically, right? So it's easy for us to look around and see the different you know labor laws and, and rules or conditions or just the cultures we expect to have here. But we know that when the prices are so low, there's things happening across the world that you know I don't know if we're necessarily proud of. So for us, when we say ethics, it's more how do we make stuff better? How do we make the quality better so that people are continually consuming them? And uh, you know, hopefully we deliver on that. Oh, that's fantastic. Okay, so everybody write this down. The ethical piece is um, not just building a product or a service or an organization or a company, but building a better future. And that's just so much bigger and grander and, I don't know, higher. I don't know. It's got, I've got a lot of respect for that. That sounds fantastic. And then he said, build, but make better things in a better way. I just, that could be a core value right there. Make better things in a better way. I love that as a core value. And I don't, I don't think you can have one without the other, to be honest with you. I don't know if you can make amazing quality goods without investing in a labor force that's paid adequately or conditions to do that. From a production standpoint, sure, there's companies in the world that do that where, you know, potentially the R&D is happening domestically and then production is happening overseas. But if you want to have a high quality product, you need to pay for the materials and inputs that go into that. You need to take care of the people that are working on it so that, you know, that care and consideration is going into everything. So, yeah, no, I, I do believe that, you know, it's, it's funny you say that it's a, a value of mine. I've never thought of it like that, but certainly I would say through my time with cotton, I, I hope I've become a better consumer as well. And if there's people listening that want to become part of what we're doing too, you know, like I said, one of the things that we do at Cotton Supply, which is our offering for teams, communities, and, and companies is we enable them to tap into our supply chain. So if they want to create custom merchandise uh, for their teams with their logo on it from our Egyptian cotton products, we essentially act as our supply chain and sort of that ethical seal and sustainable seal for them to feel proud of the different vendors they're working with. So uh, I put that offer out there to anyone that that wants uh, uh, to be a part of what we're building. Mm, that's beautiful. So you can get a shirt with your logo and feel good about the fact that it was a better thing made a better way. That is fantastic. And yeah. if you can't do it yourself, you work with people like yourself who can help you do those things. Okay, exactly. the other thing, 
the other thing you said I thought was fantastic. And um, I immediately thought of uh, David Phillips with Faster Glass. He's a guy here, Dan, in Charlotte, North Carolina. And he is like, you said, you know, I want to solve complex problems. I, I, we, you need to, you, I need to hook you up with David Phillips here in Charlotte because he is a creative, innovative, like, guru nerd you would love him okay he's so fantastical and so I sat in one of his like lunch and learns or something he does these cool lunch and learns for Charlotte North Carolina uh and he talked about how constraints make you creative mm. when you are limited you got to get creative like what okay oh, how can I we make it that. work so you know the Apollo is it the Apollo 13 movie that's right isn't it where they take all the mess and they figure out how to get the astronauts back or whatever so um I love what you said about constraints around things so that's such a good thought though I mean for me that's that's I don't know if I've heard that before but that's how I look at problems like I need to touch everything when I'm working on a new problem. So for example, you know, I just took over uh, running this new department for the company and I'm hands-on in every one of our systems. And people are asking me like, Dan, why do you need to know this? Like, why do you need to be, why do you need to be so in the weeds? And for me, the truth is, if I don't have every single puzzle piece, I don't know how to solve the problem, right? I don't know what my constraints are. I don't know what my resources are. And while, you know, you can build things that you don't see in front of you, solutions are a lot easier when you know what your limitations are as well. So I I think that's such an eloquent way to put it. Uh, when it comes to problem solving, it, it really is helpful to know what uh, what the world looks like in front of you. Yeah. Well, it, you say that you like to get in and do complex problems and things. I'm wondering if you've solved a complex problem recently and you might share kind of how you went about it. And and I'll tell you, I think there's two schools of thought about, you know, getting getting in the weeds and then, you know, empowering other people. I don't I don't think that Dan is saying he's going to do the get in and do jobs for others. He's just trying to make sure he understands what he has available to him to get the problem solved. Right. And how many leaders, I mean, hello, everybody out there. How many times have you had a boss that's like, they have no clue what we do. They have no clue what's going on. And so, wow, what a great example. Dan is like, no, I'm going to know exactly what these people on my team do and what they touch and what they experience so I can help them. So I really celebrate that. So do you have a complex problem or something you guys finagled and figured out recently you could share? Yeah, a ton of different problems to be honest. I love what you said. Like I, my, my goal here is not to take over for people and, and no. do the work. It's actually to do the work with them because I also want them to see me being willing to do the work with them so that when I ask them to take on something that might be above and beyond their job, they know that, you know, it's not above above me either. So there's a few. So like right now, you know, we're, we're looking for a sales manager and, you know, we're a little short on sales resources. So I've rolled up my sleeves and started selling, finding companies to talk to, going to my network, taking on as many different calls as I can. We're, we're relooking our systems right now and trying to figure out a better order flow so that we can make sure that our products are moving really nicely from, from Egypt to our distribution center here in Toronto, then over to our decorator partners. So we're looking at a few different technology vendors. So for me, in order to find the right technical solution, as we were just talking about, it's like, okay, what systems do we already have in place today? So what do we need to connect to? What are like the, the key determinations there? Then it's like, okay, we got to talk to all the different stakeholders that are involved there, whether it's our finance team or our uh, our engineering team and make sure their considerations are, are documented well. And then, okay, what's the solution that goes in, in, in solves for that? And so uh, we are still in the process. You're going to have to circle back with us. I'm feeling good about, about where we're getting there. But a process map like that, that has so many different inputs, uh, so many different stakeholders, it really can get to a place where you you don't necessarily know what the end solution is going to look like. So you do need to kind of box it in at times. Yeah, absolutely. And so I'm going to give you another flashback, maybe to your business degree. So I kind of heard this whole thing of like uh, systemic thinking or systems thinking. It's like... Um, on the tip of my tongue. It'll come to me in a minute, Dan. But anyways, uh, systems thinking, and uh, and that's what he's talking about. Also, I, I kind of heard a little bit of project management. Do you have a project management um, process in place at Cotton? Uh, not formalized. Uh, I think one of the things about being a star, I mean, our team is only uh, six to 70 people at this point. Okay. Um, we are still very scrappy in how we how we manage projects. Certainly, we're getting better. Um, there's a, a great feedback loop in our organization where, you know, as we as we conduct work and 
Um, we work together as a team to solve things. We, we do try our best to, you know, do postmortems and, and provide each other feedback on how we can improve those processes. So no, no, no formal project management at the moment, but uh, hopefully we get better over time. Yeah, well, I, I heard some project management drops there. So I that it, it just must be coming out of you from business school. Where'd you go to school? Could I ask this very personal question? Yeah, I went to, uh, went to it's called Wilfrid Laurier University. It's in uh, it's in Waterloo, Ontario, for those not too familiar with the area. So right next door to, to Waterloo University. Okay, fantastic, fantastic. All right, and don't miss what he said. You know, we're young and we're scrappy. We only got 60 or 70 people. And, you know, again, listen to the word that he's using, everybody, this word scrappy. Okay, I mean, I that is a fantastically vi- build a vibrant culture word, right? You know, so these are people, again, scrappy, taking the constraints, the scraps left behind, trying to figure out, and they're doing um, some great work. So so I don't know that everybody that's listening has ever heard of a por- post-mortem conversation. Um, I know that, you know, in the Army, the United States Army, they do this thing where they look at how the operation went, and they sit back, and they're like, you know, how could it have gone better? So tell me a little bit about uh, when you conduct those and how you conduct those because I think um, a lot of times my leaders are like moving Mach 5 with their hair on fire and it's like wait slow down hold on a minute let's talk about how that just went so that when we do it over here we don't make the same mistakes Uh, how does that look when you guys do that and that feedback loop you mentioned I'm curious about that yeah for sure so I I mean every time we kick off a project we do we do our best to document going into what our hypothesis is, what's the structure for the project, what do we think the outcome is going to look like, just so we can put down a bet or you know some sort of prediction for what we think is going to happen. And so as we go through the motions, obviously things take a different turn or you know the outcome is better or worse than we anticipated. So at the end of the project, what we sort of put the burden on to the project managers, hey, get everyone involved in here, gather all the data related to what just happened, and let's talk about how we could have made it better what things worked really well and what didn't. And so for us, that learning cycle is imperative to what we do, especially as a retail business. Everything is so cyclical. You know, we go through the retail calendar and then 12 months later, we go through it again, right? So um, if we do want to run some of the same promotions or same campaigns when it comes to the products we're offering, we want to make sure we document as much as possible uh, how it went and, and what we can do better. So usually there's some sort of documentation usually like a postmortem document or presentation given to the team involved. And everyone's given the opportunity to fill out a survey or raise their hand in that meeting and provide additional feedback on, hey, within my given area, what do I think I could have done better? How did we uh, do relative to the results that we incurred? But also at a macro level, because you know, even if you are only responsible for one piece of the project, we want to get your input on, uh, on the broader sort of goal and, and how we did against that. So we go ahead, we document all that, we kind of put it in a vault and we say, all right, we're going to come back to this. And then next year, when that time comes around and we start planning a similar project or, you know, we want some inspiration, all of that is saved on our Google Drive. We're able to easily reference that before, especially if we do uh, run that same campaign again. So, you know, using that Black Friday example, because we continually run that uh, 100% of, of proceeds go to building schools in Egypt. We want to look at what kind of response we got both from the team and from our stakeholders externally being our customers uh, as well. And so we we want to take that input and apply it to, to next year. Mm, that's fantastic. Okay. So you're you're talking about um, you know documenting, come back to things. You mentioned Google Drive. And so this it triggered this thing in my brain. Plus uh, it says on here that you have a passion for technology. So I have a I have a really good question for you because uh, yeah. as I understand too, you're across the, the ocean here with folks in the Middle East and Egypt and everything. So you're doing long distance communication and the whole shebang. I, I just had a client this week that was sharing with me, I'm so frustrated. We have email, people text my own personal cell phone, I have Slack going, you know, we're, we're on Zoom, and then somebody sends me a WebEx, and <laughs> just, it is out of control. Oh, and she's on Rike, which is like a uh, project management so- uh, software, and uh, there's other ones. I use Basecamp, other people use Asana or Monday or whatever. So what, what technology is your cool, scrappy, hip company using and why should we use it or what you know what have you learned about technology give us some some ideas about that since you love it yeah so it's it's not uh, a perfect system i think everybody has what works for them i mean i find i live in evernote everything that you know all the meetings that i'm on 
easily searchable. I need to be able to have some sort of paper trail. So, uh, you know, my life is documented on there. But from a company standpoint, we use Slack as a communication tool, which I, I really enjoy as well because all the messages on there are searchable. But more and more, you'd be surprised. We're actually trying to move as much of, of our formal documentation to email because there is a paper trail. And so I think a lot is getting lost via digital communication or conversation where it's not being captured somewhere. And for me, I mean, my memory is not as good as I, I wish it was. Uh, it is helpful to, to be able to search keywords or try and get our memory rejogged on, uh, on what that looked like. One other, one other tool I'll call out, um, we use something called Fellow. So it's, it's spelled as it sounds. Uh, it's, it's a meeting agenda and note-taking tool. Uh, and so if you integrate it with your calendar, it essentially creates what are you know, fellow notes for that meeting. And so I use that for all of my team one-on-ones. Uh, when we have big meetings and we want someone to take notes, we document it in there. And again, it's similar to, to some of the other tools I'm talking about. It's just documentation of, of the different things we're trying to achieve. What are the action items that come out of that? And uh, how do we make sure that doesn't get lost? And specifically for one-on-ones, I would say for leaders out there, make sure you're you're coming into one-on-ones with your team members having an agenda and put the burden of that on your team member. Because the, the lens I look at that through is, hey, team member, this is your time to leverage me as much as possible. And I want you to construct this agenda to benefit whatever I can unblock you on uh, when it comes to your work. So a tool like Fellow is great for that, but make sure in general, you know, they're giving you some lead time when it comes to that agenda because, you know, you want them to get the most of that time and, and make sure that for, for some managers, if you have a lot of direct reports, you can't spend as much uh, individual time with your team members, make sure to, to maximize the impact of that as much as possible. Hmm, that's fantastic. Okay, so don't miss that, everybody. He's having one-on-ones with his people. He's using Fellow uh, to keep track of those things, and he's putting the onus on his team member to say, this is what I want to talk about. Here's the agenda I put together. Yeah, I I think that is fantastic. Um, and then also he threw it in there real quick, Evernote, but he don't miss. He said his whole life is on Evernote. So check it out. That's a, and, and again, everything needs to be searchable. Now I was talking to a gal that I'm coaching and she was like, went on this little rant about how uh, the Google Drive is not easily searchable. She's like, you know, have you ever sat down here and you're trying to find a document? She said, I, I knew I had a document that was like, personal development. And she said, when I finally found it, the thing was called development personal or whatever. It was some backwards thing. And she's like, she's like, what the heck is that about? I'm like, I, I think I, I think I experienced that. Have you experienced this with your Google drive? For sure. I've experienced this with every tool because you totally forget (laughs) what, uh, what meeting you're in or what it's called or something like that. So, you know, that's what I mean. Like you can find the perfect tool, but uh, you really gotta gotta put some consideration into how you name things and how do you keep format uh, similar. So as much as we want technology to solve all of our problems, unfortunately, the reality is a lot of us uh, or a lot of the work does fall on us. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so it sounds like you guys are building an amazingly vibrant culture over there. Um, what do you guys have in the works for the future? What are the, what are some things you are going to add or you're hoping to do? If you were to talk a little bit about your vision, because I think you guys are probably incredible uh, visionaries and do a lot of visioneering. Um, what what are you guys hoping to to do in the future? Now all. Cotton employees, this is a vision. You know, people are like, I can't tell them what we're thinking about doing. What if we don't do it? And I'm like, uh, they would rather know what we're hoping for than think we're not doing a darn thing. So what what are you guys hoping for over there at Cotton? Yeah, so I mean, the name of the game for us right now is just continue growing. And growth really does afford us to increase our impact and scope because the more that we can grow, obviously the greater influence we can have in terms of the number of lives we touch. So that's one of the beautiful things about the ecosystem we built is, is growth affords us so many opportunities when it comes to building more schools, extending our supply chain, et cetera. I'll, I'll kind of walk you through the vision on, on the con supply side of things where, you know, we're expanding our, our supply chain to enable companies to tap into. What I would love to do there is, continue to enable different use cases for people to to access our supply chain. Because I think the hardest thing for brands or anyone selling a physical good is how do you make it? You know, for entrepreneurs out there, people looking to start companies, like the reality of actually going out and having to make something is very difficult. And so today we're starting with employee swag. We're talking, we're starting with, uh, you know, custom merchandise for creators and influencers, et cetera. But I'd love down the road to, to open our supply chain up 
in sort of making this open source asset that other people can tap into in order to make goods that are of high quality, ethical, and sustainable as well. So that is that is the grander vision. I think we're going to get there. I'm, I'm quite confident. But baby steps are needed, right? You, you kind of need to take things one thing at a time. And so let's work with companies to, to make their merchandise even better. And then in the future, let's work with companies to make their products even better. Mm. Hmm. So to be like a worldwide resource, right? Like, so like maybe Ralph Lauren would call you up and say, let's buy, let's buy cotton from these guys to make our polo exactly. shirt. Is that what you're talking we don't about? Do, we don't need the credit. Ralph can take all the credit. Uh, <laughs> you know, as long as, uh, as long as his customers are getting a product that's up to the quality that, you know, we hold ourselves to. And again, it comes from those same uh, ethical and sustainable standards. Then that would, that would be an awesome world uh, just to have that, that sort of seal of approval. We would, we would love to, to be that that's a, a grand vision but again something that i don't think is is too crazy yeah yeah well I, you know i got two questions for you left the next one is like sure. i just want to kind of hear a little bit about your people philosophy you know you said you you've succeeded by building great teams um challenging assumptions and and making learning happen along the way um so tell me a little bit about your 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 people philosophy i think leaders in general uh dan they need to have a philosophy. Um, cause I, again, it goes back to, you ask people, what's your leadership philosophy? They're like, you know, I got nothing. And it's like, well, gosh, you need, really need to think about it because you have, you know, 60 scrappy people counting on you today. <laughs> so, sure. yeah. So, so you got to know in philosophy, you know, you could put coincide beliefs, you know, blah, blah, blah. Right. So what's your, what's your people philosophy? Yeah, I think it's a little radical, to be honest. So my belief system is we used to exist in a world where employers held all the power. People stayed at companies for a really long time, and there really wasn't a a lot of leverage from an employee standpoint. And so we're shifting into this paradigm now where, especially in tech, I can't speak to the entire job market, but at least the sector that I'm in, it really is a competitive job market for uh, employees. Uh, And they're able to get opportunities and move around in a way that you know, they weren't able to a few decades ago. And so what that's done is that shifted that power towards the employee. And I love that because it empowers them to find opportunities that excite them. It affords them growth opportunities and acceleration in their career uh, that might not have been there before. And so when it comes to my leadership style, I view it through that lens. When someone joins me, and even before they join, I usually have this conversation throughout the interview process or, you know, before they sign the offer, I ask, okay, what do you want to do after cotton? What is your dream job after cut? Let's assume that, you know, two or three years down the line, um, you want to do something different. What's the next job that we can work towards? And I hope, I really hope as a leader that we can find that for you here at Cotton. But I also know there's a reality that that might not exist. And so usually the employee will, will tell me, okay, I want to become a manager for X. And I'll say, okay, why? And like, what excites you about that? What skills do you need? You think you need to be able to achieve that? And so when it comes to leading them, I now have this viewpoint where it's like, okay, I know where they want to get next. Not like I'm going to pigeonhole them into where I've put them today. It's okay. There's a job description that they have to achieve. I'm not, I'm not saying, Hey, go and forego your entire job to start working towards your next career. But right. it's like, we do have to have social media posts today. That's got to get exactly, done. Exactly. <laughs> you still have a job, but it's over the course of your relationship with an employee. And I think most leaders have encountered this. There's always stretch opportunities. There's always projects that they can work on that become really great milestones for them. And if you know where they're working towards, it becomes much easier to identify the right person for the right opportunity in order to set them up for success in the future. And again, my hope is that by by cultivating that and by by allowing them and nurturing sort of the skills that they want to grow in, they'll be really successful post their experience working for me. And you know, I I selfishly think there's there's value to that for me too, because it means 100%. that yeah, it means that I'm able to grow my network and I'm able to put employees out there in the world that uh, also lead like this. And, you know, I, I, I'm excited by what they can do beyond their interaction with me because I know, again, the power is in the employee's hands and I, I can't hold them hostage and uh, and expect them to be here forever. Yeah, that's that's so fantastic. Yeah. So uh, I had three things pop in my brain while you were talking because what he is saying is so important, y'all. Uh, first thing is, that's how we talk in Concord, North Carolina. We say y'all, Dan, just FYI. All right. <laughs> so what, somebody was telling me about, I, I guess Bill Bilicek 
is is a I don't know what the deal is. So like he wins all these Super Bowls, but then I'll mention it and I'm not a football person. So I, you know, I half know what I'm talking about right here. But here's the thing. Somebody told me that, you know, his um process of recruiting and training and making football players was so fantastic that people would forego like a process and go try to, you know, to uh, be on that team and give up like, like maybe millions of dollars somewhere else because they just wanted to be on the best team or whatever. Um, and so he was all about making the best people. And somebody said, well, aren't you afraid you're going to put all these people through your program and they're going to leave? And his answer was no, because everybody's talking about the Patriots. And so that is not a problem in the world. And so wouldn't that be wonderful if uh, word got out on the street that, oh, where did you, where'd you get, you know, where'd you learn your business acumen? Where did you come through? Oh, I worked for this guy named Dan Gray at Cotton and he was a boss and a half, meaning fantastic. And, um, and he, he led the way. We did a major sustainable or responsible ethical things. Oh my God, so beautiful. Yeah, I love that. First of all, thank you for a name drop that I can finally, uh, you know, <laughs> resonate with and, and recognize. Uh, but no, I think that's I think that's amazing. Like, really, as a company grows, you want people to leave as ambassadors and not leave with any sort of resentment or a feeling of, you know, my my growth and my career trajectory was what constrained here. So I, I think uh, I think you and Bill put it very very nicely. Yeah. And I'm just going to tell this real quick story. Will you humor me, Dan, if I tell this? Of course. Story? Yeah. So I, I don't know if I've told it on the podcast. Yes, but I couldn't even I couldn't tell you which episode it was. But I had this I had I had a need where I started working and I got busy and I saw I needed somebody to clean my home. Now, I think I was probably 44 years old before I ever had somebody else come in to clean my house. I did everything. Are you all with me? So anyway, so I did everything. Well, I asked my neighbor who was very fancy and has had this housekeeper for a very long time I said can I have her name and she said sure so long long story short this woman comes and cleans my house and she gives me this invoice Dan that says like cobweb on chandelier removed from foyer got a ladder from the garage I mean she wrote all this stuff like she she straightened me out my house was never so clean not that it was dirty but it was like she organized me she was completely over the top and so one day I, you know, like I got the third invoice and I just said to her, listen, what are you doing? Cleaning houses. You should, you should probably do something. You should do bookkeeping or something. And she's like, oh, I never thought of that before. And, and that's the other thing about the one-on-ones with your employees. Who do they have to have these conversations with about who they want to be when they grow up? They're, they go home to their spouse, their spouse, you know, just wants to make dinner and cuddle on the couch or whatever you want to do. But you don't have this person have this conversation. So anyways, long story short, I said, if you go to the community college, I'll pay for you to learn QuickBooks and you can do my QuickBooks and clean my house. Well, long story short, now she lives in Wilmington. She's getting um, her CPA and she has all these clients and she is just where she, I mean, it, that, see, that's so stinking fun, Dan. Do you see what I'm saying? That's awesome. I love that story. The only <laughs> thing I can think about, though, is you just talked your neighbor out of a perfectly great cleaning lady. I, I, I hope you made it up to her. <laughs> oh, she, and she did not belong there at all. Anyway, so I'm just that's telling awesome. you, it's so fun to become a legacy for somebody or, or somebody 100%. that, yeah. And, and it sounds like your company is going to be a legacy company, too which is so fantastic. All right. And I know they're lucky to have you. All right. Last thing, last thing. Here we go. All right. So I know somebody out there is listening and they're like, okay, so this is such good information. I wish Dan would give me one more nugget, one more little, you know, drop, drop me a little goodie. And uh, right now Dan's puppy is circling him going, take me outside. Let's see the puppy. He's ready. Yeah, he's ready. What is it? What kind of puppy do you have? He's a uh, he's a rescue pup. We don't uh, it, it don't exactly know what uh, what his oh he's a mutt his and I yeah his name's Atticus. He's two and uh, he's awesome. Oh, that's awesome! And I see Grogu back there too, Grogu. So yes. okay, all right. <laughs> oh, and I'm a Star Wars person, Dan. We can have an aside on that later. So may the force be with you. All right. So give us one one last one last little uh, download. What's the thing you would like us to take away and know about you? Uh, we're gonna we're gonna all go to uh, koTn.com. Check out your company. Um, we're gonna think about whether or not we need a polo shirt from you. Get you in our be be, be part of our supply chain. And he needs a business, uh, no, a sales manager. Did I get it right? You got it. 
Okay. So he's got lots of, lots of things that he can help you with people. All right. So give us the last download. Yeah. Two, I'll say two things. One okay. is um, if you're looking for a way to, to uh, enhance your culture, I would say, again, I would be remiss not to plug cotton supply and say, you know, having swag or, or cultural tokens that drive ambassadorship and drive a connection to your business um, that that goes a really long way and so uh, you know cotton supply can definitely enable you for that so I I apologize for the shameless plug Um, but when it comes to leadership I think the thing I wish someone told me was in order to be a good leader you really have to get yourself right Uh, it's hard to take on other people's emotions and other people's baggage when you aren't prepared to address or handle your own. And so uh, when it comes to being a strong leader, just look in the mirror every day and think about what do I need? Make sure you're getting that from your boss or getting that from your loved ones. Uh, And you're coming to work fully ready to embrace what other people need. Because again, when it it comes to being a leader, a lot of it is listening. It's hearing people out. It's taking in their emotions. And so if you're not right, it's not going to get right with them. So uh, yeah, I think that's that's where I would start. Mm, yeah. Okay. So this this is I just gonna say this real quick, people. So you know my coaching methodology, everybody. Uh, it is shine. Uh, if you shine, you're gonna build a vibrant culture. Okay. So here's the shine coaching methodology. First thing I do is self assessment. That is what Dan just said. Look in the mirror. What is up with you today? And then the H is habits. What habits do you have in place? that are going to move you forward, move your company forward. Uh, Are you in integrity? Today, Dan talked all about having an ethical, credible, wonderful organization that you can be proud of, proud to work for. And then next right steps. So he talked about how important the vision is and visionary. And then we already talked about energy, which Dan has a boatload of because he's passionate and he loves to discuss and debate and build teams and challenge assumptions and all those things. So look, if you shine, you're going to build a vibrant culture. And Dan, today on the Build a Vibrant Culture podcast, you totally were shining. And I'm so grateful. Uh, thank you. Thanks, y'all. Did I get that right? <laughs> y'all up to, up to snuff? Hey, everybody here in Concord will understand that. That's good. Hey, and Dan, if you ever get to Concord, North Carolina, it's by Charlotte. Please look me up. I got a guest room. I love you to bring Atticus. I like the puppies and the and and all all the you're like probably the same age as my kids. So come on over. Everybody, you can find Dan at um uh let's see, he's on Twitter, uh twitter.com. His handle is growing gray, and you can also find him on LinkedIn. Dan Gray put in his company name, K-O-T-N, Cotton. All right. So everybody check that out. Thanks again so much for being on the Build a Vibrant Culture podcast. All right. Thank you. Ready to build your vibrant culture? Bring Nicole Greer to speak to your leadership team, conference, or organization to help them with her strategies, systems, and smarts to increase clarity, accountability, energy, and results. Your organization will get lit from within. Email Nicole at NicoleGreer.com. And be sure to check out Nicole's TEDx talk at NicoleGreer.com.